Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. The Lord Jesus Christ and the mission that he has left us is worthy of our lives the entirety of our lives, no matter how long or short that life might be. My guest today has given more years to the cause of world missions than perhaps any man I've ever met. I was privileged to be with Dr. Don Sisk in a missions conference at Capital City Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Dr. Sisk, after several years of pastoral ministry in Kentucky and Illinois, went to the country of Japan as a church planting missionary back in 1965. In addition to his missionary efforts, he served as the Far East Director for Baptist International Missions, Inc., and eventually became the President and General Director of BIMI, a position he held for 19 years. He resigned from that role back in 2002 at the age of 69, but continued to serve the cause of missions as a professor of missions and a popular missions conference preacher. His travels have taken him to over 80 countries around the world, and as of the publication of this program at the age of 88, he continues to serve the Lord Jesus Christ through his itinerant preaching ministry. With that introduction, here's my conversation with Dr. Don Sisk on a lifetime of mission service. Dr. Sisk, you were saved at a young age, called to preach. At 16 years old. 16 yeah. years old. Yeah. Called to preach at 21. Is yes, that sir. right? Yeah. And despite your roots in rural Kentucky, you, uh, the Lord directed you and your wife to serve him in the country of Japan back in 1965. We That's, did. Uh, That's when we went to the family. Yeah. Yes, sir. I'm wondering, Dr. Sisk, I had a, a maybe a bit of a similar background in terms of being associated initially with Southern Baptist Church. And in my background, uh, missions in the local church was a little bit disconnected. But uh, it didn't take long for you, for the Great Commission to become real in your heart. So how did that happen? How did you take an interest in getting the gospel to the world? Uh, I, I guess from the time I got saved, my pastor was a student at Louisville Seminary. Yeah. And he and his wife were involved in preparing to go to Peru as missionaries. And they did after they graduated from, from seminary. Now, by that time, we were we were married and had moved to northern Indiana, but uh, uh, he took me to camp soon after I got saved, and I heard uh, Jerome O. Williams was the camp, spe- the mission speaker, and he was from Africa. I forget where, just I remember sure. Africa. Back in those days, you know, Africa was it. I didn't know any <laughs> countries in Africa. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, just just watching them, listening to them. Uh, I, I began to have an interest in missions. I I couldn't say I was called to missions until several years later, but yeah, that's the beginning. So how did the Lord deal with your heart about going to Japan? Well, uh, at the end of World War II, when Hirohito, the emperor of Japan, and of course the, in Shintoism, they believe in emperor worship and so forth, and uh, uh they had worshipped him as God. And then at the end of the war, he actually got on radio and uh, and told them, I'm not God. Wow. And, you know, that got me thinking, sure. you know. And then I, I met a Japanese preacher who came to preach for Brother Ratliff, our, our, the mission, the 
pastor that was preparing for missions. He came to preach for him one day, and he was a he was an American, but he was a second generation Japanese, and he spoke perfect English, of course. And he he was born and raised in Hawaii, and even fought for the American in, oh, wow. in World War Two. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, I, I met him, and you know, different ones like that. And then uh, after, when I was pastoring in Providence, Kentucky, I had written a letter uh, criticizing the the uh, corporate program, okay, the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> right. Because we thought, you know, churches in Kentucky, we thought, okay, we're sending money to missions. And only about 10% of it was getting to missions. The rest of it was used for things right. you, you couldn't believe. You know, right. anyway... I'd, I'd written a letter, written a letter, and they published it in the uh, uh, Western Recorder, which was the state paper of Kentucky. And about a month after that was published, uh, I got a letter from Japan. And th this man had graduated from Louisville Seminary, so he'd gotten on the mailing list for the Western Recorder. And uh, he wrote the letter and talked about Akita, Japan. And he said, there's uh, three and a half million people here. And my wife and I are the only missionaries wow. here in Akita, Japan. At that time, I was pastoring in Providence, Kentucky. There were 3,500 people in Providence. <laughs> there were two other Southern Baptist churches. Uh, there was a Methodist church, Presbyterian church, Pentecostal, you know, the whole whole. Ride. But he said, as far as I know, we're the only one preaching the gospel in, in this strength. And <clears throat> he mentioned, I, I don't know anything about you. I don't know your age don't know your educational attainment, your background or anything. All I could think of was when you, when you, when I read the article was, whoever wrote this has a real heart for missions. Amen. And then at the end of the letter, he posed a question. What would keep you from coming to Japan? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was just one of many things. But uh, a few weeks after that, I attended an evangelistic conference in Louisville, Kentucky, and Dr. Baker Cawthon preached on the uh, untold millions. Wow. And uh, that's when God really laid on my heart, I want you to be a missionary. Yeah. And wow. after, I, after I committed my life to be a missionary, I, I couldn't think of anywhere except Japan, you know. So I just figured, okay, this must be it. <laughs> Amen. Well, there was certainly a great need then. There's still a great need oh, even to this sure. day. Yeah. So you went to the foreign field in 1965. You know, for for me, uh, I I didn't have any really missions background when I went to pastor in Southern Alabama. I'd never met a foreign missionary personally yeah. uh, growing up. But since then, I've been around uh, missions a good deal, and I've known quite a few people that have been to the foreign mission field. I, I guess it's a little hard for us to even relate to what it what it must have been like going to the foreign mission field in 1965 when um like did did you know many people who had personally who had uh uh gone to the foreign mission field was this i mean it sounds like it was a relatively new thing in terms of your exposure it was when you were called yeah, yeah. Uh, it was two years after i became an independent baptist right so that and i wasn't uh, around a lot of uh, mission conferences and so forth sure so I, I had not met a lot of missionaries. Uh, I had met the one missionary in Japan, Dave Markham, that was already there when I got there. He'd been there about six months, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, I, I didn't know a lot of missionaries. No, 
Right. So you ended up in Japan in one capacity or another for the next 20 years yes, or so. Sir. So if you could describe just a little bit about your years of service in Japan, how what is it that you uh, that the Lord allowed you to do while you were in, in uh, Japan? How did, how did the Lord use you and your family over you know, those let, years? Let me preface that by saying, and I, of course, uh, our mission was young, uh, four years old when I joined the mission, B-I-M-I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they didn't give a lot of help. In fact, they didn't have candy school or anything. Right. After we were approved, the man just came out and said, God bless you, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, how do you do deputation? No, no. Uh, how do you do, none of that and so forth. But, you know, God, God provided, you know, little by little, right. little. But we went way under-supported. And, and uh, we went with, um, we joined the mission in 19 and, and, and uh, 1964 in June. And in January, we went to Japan. <laughs> and we had $500 a month support. Oh, wow. <laughs> For Japan, of all places. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, now things were cheaper then and things. But even then, it was way under support. But for the next three and a half years, I've, I've never had God do so many things in that short a period of time in my whole life. And I, I think maybe part of it might have been I was just totally dependent on God, and I knew it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's no way you could take a pencil and a piece of paper and figure out how we could do all the things that we did. God's math works differently it, than ours sometimes. It works way different, so, yeah. yeah. But, uh, of course, we started the church in 1966. And and from the beginning, uh, it was just a miraculous work, you know. You think about eleven people getting saved the first service. That's well, that's you know amazing. Japan's one of the most difficult places to evangelize in the whole world. Right. In fact, even now, the average church in Japan, average established church, will have twenty five to thirty people. Yeah. yeah. Now there are a few that's a little bit larger than that, but not not very many. Sure. And then when you think that. Uh, I baptized 89 Japanese the first year. <laughs> we had 139 people at our first anniversary service. And uh, we had five young people that had committed their life to full-time Christian ministry. You know, just one yeah. thing after another like that. Yeah, yeah and one of those, <clears throat> I heard you tell the story in this conference that we're in that one of those first converts went on to pastor that church plant. Is He's that right? still pastoring, yeah. Still pastoring. Yeah. So, you had, I, I was there for three years with the church. Okay. And, and now for the other 52 years, he's been the pastor. There. Amazing. And they invited you to come back for their, uh, a few years back for their 50th anniversary. Oh, yeah. We, Is that we right? converse. We converse. You know, now with email and text and everything. Sure. But there's hardly ever a week or two that I do not one way or another talk to he or his sons other people in Japan. So. so what did you find when you went back 50 years after establishing well, that and It wasn't the first time I'd been back. I'd sure. been back a lot sure, of times sure. because <clears throat> for 10 years I was a Far Eastern director. Right. So I, you know, that's basically my home. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, oh, we, we saw people we hadn't seen for 45, 50 years, you know. And it was just such a blessing, you know, to realize one man introduced himself and uh, I remember him getting saved and baptized, and he told me about five books he's written <laughs> and uh, others that are being used and you know, mission fields and so on and so forth. It was just, uh, it was a fantastic week, 
you know. Amen. Sure. And then we ended up in a penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, honor to whom honor is oh, due. Oh, well, I didn't know and, that. And those folks wanted to honor you, obviously. I, I'd have much rather had that money, though. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you were involved in church planting in Osaka yes, and uh, Kobe? Yes, sir, Kobe. Kobe? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and the church in Kobe, it, it, it was a good church. It, the, the sad thing was that the pastor that we instituted there had a moral failure. And mm. that really hurt the church. And Always is. Didn't ever quite get over it. Sure. But it's still there. And they have a pastor. And, you know, they're ministering and so forth. But then the church in Osaka just grew unbelievably, yeah. you know. Yeah. But and, the old guy would preach a sermon one time in chapel. And he said, uh, and he was used in Acts chapter 2, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So he came up with this idea that uh, since people were being saved daily, that his church, and he'd become pastor by that time, then his church had to, needed to divide the church up so that every day somebody would be out soul winning. Wow. And they went for years, probably 20 years, without ever having a service that they didn't have at least one first-time visitor every week. That's amazing. <laughs> In Japan. In Japan. Right. Yeah. And it's still right. going on. I mean, you know, it's just... Yeah. Uh, and uh, I thought they would have already transitioned, but he has two great sons. I mean, well, he has three sons. And the other's a great young man. He's a... Well, it's a young man. He's not young anymore, okay? All of us are getting old, but he's a lot younger than me. But uh, he's an engineer, worked on that largest bridge in in the world, you know, that's connected to islands, you know. And But he's a great businessman, you know, and just uh, a very dedicated Christian, teaches Sunday school, does all kind of things and so forth. Then he has a daughter. And his daughter is married to a preacher that's pastoring in Tokyo. Amen. Yeah. Great family. Great family. And in all probability, Isaiah and uh, Eddie will will become the pastors. Yeah. But it's still going on. It's still oh, moving my. forward for the Lord. Uh, much. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's stronger every year. Yeah. Every year. Still growing. In addition to the church planting efforts in Osaka and Kobe, um, you also were were uh, permitted of the Lord to establish a Bible school. Would you Would you tell me a little bit about well, about that? Well, uh, we sent some. Uh, we sent one of our young men to a Bible school. We thought we looked at the uh, the uh, uh, doctrinal statement and all those things. It looked like okay, that that would be a good school for him to go to. But every weekend he came back, and I had to unteach him something. <laughs> In fact, he got it. I went out one day, and he took care of our bulletins. And on the front of the bulletins, he had the five points of Calvinism. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> so I began to think, okay, if I'm going to have to unteach everything he learns, I might as well start something. And I started a, a, a school just for the students there in our, in our church. And I, I solicited Ron White and Dave Markham and Leland Lanier. They were all, all three missionaries in that area. And each of us taught one course. Now, Brother Lanier had been there one term. Brother Markham had been there a little longer than us, but Ron and I had only been there a little over a year at that time. So, you know, we were limited as what we could do. 
But we had a six-by-eight room. That was our first Bible school. <laughs> had a table in the middle of it. We sat around on Zabatons, you know. Wow. And, uh, uh, I, you know, the teacher would sit at the head, the four students sit there. And that, that was the beginning. Then the next year at camp, we actually formed the Kansai Independent Baptist Bible College. And uh, two years ago, they had their 50th anniversary. How about that? You know, and probably... Probably three, three or four hundred graduates Amazing. by this time. I don't don't quote sure, me on that one, sure. but uh, I, I I could get that numbered, but I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. But all over the world now, uh, several of them are missionaries in foreign countries, and church planners and music directors and so forth. Yeah, sure. It's it's been a great great Bible school. Amen. So you were you you. Ended up going with Baptist International Missions just four years after its inception when you went to the yes. mission field. Is that right? Yeah. So that was your sending agency when you went to the field of Japan. Actually, BIMI is not a sending agency. Uh, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. BIMI is a helps organization. Okay. Okay. The sending agency is the local it's church. the local church. Okay. Thank you for the correction. So, so every once in a while, somebody say, you know, we're just going out from our local church. And I said, well, everybody does that. <laughs> you know, BIM, if you say, how many BIM missionaries have you sent? We don't send any. You know. Okay. We help the missionaries. We help the local churches and so forth. But uh, it, it's not a sending agency. Okay. Yeah. Would, a board, would you, is it, is it properly called a mission board? It is. Yeah. 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 So you were, you were involved early on with BIMI, but in time you took on a greater role with the uh, with the mission board there, it becoming eventually becoming the the Far East director is that right? At some point while you were in Japan, yeah. After I've been in Japan ten years, I became the Far East director. Yeah. So what did that role look like, and how did that change your responsibilities on the? Well, mission it field? meant I had to be in America a lot, preaching in Bible conferences and preaching in Bible schools, you know, and and things of that nature and uh, trying to solicit missionaries for the Orient. And, uh, and of course, you know, we don't recruit, okay, but at least somebody that's been there and has the burden for it. So I visited the, the Philippines, I visited South Korea, I visited Korea, I visited Thailand, Taiwan, you know, on and on and on. Right. And when, when I'd go there, I'd meet with missionaries from different groups and find out how do you get into the country if you have a missionary coming here, you know, how much money would you need, and, and you know, things of that nature. And uh, by the end, the end of that 10-year period, uh, we, we had missionaries in all of those countries, yeah. That was a time of a, amazing growth for yeah. BIMI in terms of— You know, of and I got to preach in, you know, Bob Jones University at, at uh, Tennessee Temple, Howes Anderson College, uh, you know, Oklahoma Baptist College, di- different places like that, yeah. Right. So in time, you took on an even larger role at BIMI. Is that right? So how, yeah, how it was did... too large for me. <laughs> <laughs> so in, eventually, you became the president and general director of BIMI. Yes, Is that right? Yeah, well, yeah, in uh, 1984, okay. Virginia and I had a real good plan. We had spent that uh, summer, uh, eight, uh, 10 weeks in Okinawa. Because we have a big military church there, okay? Oh, okay. And it, it, it started in 1968. And by the way, I got to preach the uh, commissioning service for that church in 1968. 
Wow. In 2018, I preached the 50th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. But uh, so we went out there and relieved the military ministry, or relieved the military pastor yes. for a few weeks. And uh, so we had a great plan. We were going to sell our house in, in, in America and buy a duplex and let some Tennessee Temple students live in part of the duplex. And uh, we would rent an apartment in Osaka. And we'd spend half our time in Osaka and half our time in... And then I got back to the States and realized that uh, our president was resigning. Wow. And all the board members began to call me. Total surprise. Mm. Yeah. And uh, But I was way over my head. <laughs> and I still am. <laughs> so what does a president and, and general director of, of a large helps ministry like BIMI, what's that responsibility consist of? What, what, is, what's, what was your... What was your job description for many years in the role in as president? In I don't think right anybody time. wrote out a job description, but you had to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you represent in churches and so forth. Uh, you preside at the board meeting. Uh, you you uh, uh, tr- try to check on the whole, all the missionaries. At, at one time, uh, we had 1,200 missionaries with BIMI. Wow. wow. And that's not quite as many. We don't have quite that many now. But uh, at that time, there were fewer mission boards. There were a lot more people going to the mission field and mm-hmm. so forth. But in, in essence, and I didn't know how much pressure I was under until I resigned in 2002. But, uh, uh, you know, y- y- you have to keep <laughs> about 8,000 pastors happy. <laughs> Independent oh, that, Baptist pastor. <laughs> you you really were over your head. <laughs> that's a that's a difficult job, you know. I mean, they might support somebody for fifty dollars a month, and that's it. But they think, you know, and and you know, you try to be responsible to all of those, sure. and then the missionaries, every one of them, you know. But when I became director, uh, the president and general director, I gave the field directors a whole lot more authority. Okay. Before. Brother Freeney had been our director, and he had been there since it started. So it was his. Right. And he had field directors, but we didn't direct anything. (laughs) But that changed, you know. And uh, God did some great things for us. All all the glory to him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You you continue to this day to to serve with BIMI, I guess, and in in an emeritus capacity. Yeah, is that right? You <laughs> so, know what emeritus means. Tell me. <laughs> Used to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> and you know it, it's an honorific term. Sure, sure. And I I still serve on the board. Okay, and and I have an office there at BIMI. When I when I'm there, I, I do different things. What in essence, I do whatever they want me to do. Yeah, you know, but I do everywhere I go. I try to represent BIMI well. Sure. What, what year did you retire as the president? Two thousand and two. Two thousand and two. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you'd tell our listeners some. You, I heard you describe this uh, the the your fourth quarter philosophy, <laughs> because no one would have blamed you back in two thousand two after many years of faithful service to the Lord both as a foreign missionary, field director, 
president and general director, if you had uh, if you had you know retired to some retirement, yeah, I was sixty nine years old when I retired. Sure, yeah. So explain this this fourth quarter idea and how the Lord directed you into a new phase yeah. of ministry. And you know, I, I knew even even then, and different ones just kept saying, "Well, you're still healthy." You still got as good a mind as you ever had. You never had a very good one. <laughs> you still, anyway, not that. Yeah, but uh, I, I know I've, I've seen too many people, too many organizations, too many churches literally die or dwindle down to nothing practically because their the leadership got too old. And I, I knew that, that, that God was leading me to do that. And I had announced that I would not be a director past the age of 70. Okay, and when that time came, I I did that, and you know, and uh, uh, I, in, in in essence, you have to think. Okay, you pastored eight years, you've been in Japan all those years, uh, you've been the president, general director of BIMI, and the major part of your ministry is over. And uh, I'm I'm not sure, brother Lee, that in the last nineteen years. That has not been the most productive part of my whole life. Wow. And and I, I got to thinking, you know, many times when people, and I, I never use the word retire. I relinquish my position. <laughs> okay. Because okay. retire is a bad word. All you have to do is look it up in the dictionary. You don't, you don't want to retire. Out of commission, okay? And, uh, <clears throat> but I got to thinking about so many people that they do actually retire, even preachers. You know, and, and missionaries, and and on and on. You know, and uh, how how foolish it is that we waste the last part of our life. And the average person in America retires somewhere between sixty and sixty-five, and lives somewhere between eighty and eighty-five. So they have about a fourth of their life left. And I liken it to a football game. Mm-hmm. In fact, the front of the book is a football player. Okay. <laughs> and the football team saying to the coach after three quarters, okay, <laughs> we're out of here now. We've done our part. Well, how foolish, you know, because games are won and lost in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I wrote it to encourage. And i, I tell you one good story, and I've got hundreds sure. of them about this one, okay. But... Uh, uh, Dr. Tom Shepard brought two of his daughters out to West Coast Baptist College. And I, I was out there, and we had published that book before that. And uh, Dr. Chapel had been looking for an executive pastor for a long time. And, of course, Dr. Shepard had all kind of experience. And, you know, he'd been CEO, CEOs of hospitals and, and president of a, of a medical school, you know, all kind of things. So Dr. Chapel took him out to dinner at night. And he said, uh, Dr. Shepard, what are you going to do now? He said, well, I'm, I'm retired. You know, we bought a condo down in Pensacola. You know, I've got two children down there and grandchildren and so forth. He said, yeah, what are you going to do? And he just kept on, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> anyway, I think he got a little bit irritated. <laughs> and uh, he said to Dr. Shepard, he said, Dr. Shepard, I'm going to give you a little book. He said, no, it's not difficult to read. You, you'll be able to read it tonight. So he, he gave Dr. Shepard that book, the fourth quarter. And the next day, Dr. Shepard called and said, Don, you ruined my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But he was useful to God for many, many years Amen. out there. Now, he did eventually. He's back in Pensacola now, I guess. Sure. But that, that was probably 15, at least 15, 20 years, you know. Amen. And God used him in a wonderful way. Yeah. But uh, so it's good. And then when I introduced that book, one preacher said, well, okay, you're 72 years old, so you're in overtime, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I got my book idea for the book, Overtime. So I tell them, like I told them in chapel today, that uh, my next book is going to be called Sudden Death. (laughs) (laughs) And that won't be long. (laughs) That reminds me of Mueller. You know, Mueller took the last, uh, he described some of those those later years of itinerant uh, preaching as some of his most fruitful after doing that great orphan work in Bristol. What have been some of the highlights for you these last 19 years of you, as you've served the church by preaching all over the country, all over the world? I, you know, it's just, just like this conference. You know, just to have an opportunity to be here. Yeah. Such a great church, you know, and so forth. And uh, uh, it, it's unbelievable the doors that God opened. When I went out to Lancaster and began to teach there at West Coast Baptist College, then all those students who graduated, you know, oh, yeah. the influence you have on them. And many times, then everywhere I go now, everywhere I go, I meet West Coast graduates serving in one way or another, you know. And to think that you had a little part in, sure. in helping those people. And uh, For instance, I just got some connection. Somebody in Spain was telling me about being with the Hayes, and they were the first couple that left. West Coast Baptist College and went to the mission field after I got there. And at one time, <clears throat> uh, at least for 10 years in a row, uh, at least one-third of all the missionaries that went with BIMI were West Coast graduates. Mm. So, that that you know, influence was that, significant. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, God just did so many things like that. And then uh, the opportunity to preach in all sizes of churches— I mean, you know, I preached in churches, 10, 15 members, you know. <laughs> sure. so I preached in churches of 10,000, you know. But it doesn't make any difference, you know. Uh-huh. It's just to be there. And and I, I developed a concept when I began to travel as a representative, as Far Eastern director, that uh, and it, most of the time, now here's so different, okay. Most of the time, Mission conferences are not the best attended meetings of the <laughs> okay. year. Now, it's changing a lot. Thank God now, some of the greatest meetings you have, the churches, look, this this is the meeting of Amen. the year for them, and that that's great. And uh, But I, I remember being in one church, and the pre- pre- preacher knew there wasn't going to be many people there. He said, now, brother, sis, there won't be too many people here, but said, uh, you know, just do the best, you know, Preach the best you can. And I, I said, son, don't, don't worry about it. It don't matter if it's 10 or 10,000. I'm going to preach the same way. Amen. <laughs> I'm, you know, but I, I developed this concept. If every meeting, you know, and for a long time, I had at least 40 mission conferences every year. So I developed the concept. If you could just influence one person in each of those meetings, just one. Man, over a period of years. Oh. There's no... That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. But the highlight is just seeing, watching God use you, you know. 
And you don't see the results immediately. Sure. I was in a meeting in, in Escondido, California one time. There were three other missionaries there. All three of them in their testimony. So when I was at Bob Jones University, Brother Sis preached, and that's when I committed my life. When I was at Howes Anderson College, you know, when I was at Tennessee Temple. You didn't even know before. I didn't know. I didn't, you know. And uh, it just just last week, this, this lady said, uh, I remember when you came to our church and I got saved. Wow. I didn't. And, you know, even even Ed Bordell, you know, he mm-hmm. mentioned I bought a, a washing machine for him and his wife. I didn't remember that. <laughs> Um, and, you know, just the opportunity to be used. And, and my theory was, at, at when I re- resigned from BIMI and began to do this kind of work, dear Lord, if, if I can just be a help to younger preachers, that would be a thrill of my life. Amen. And God has given me so many opportunities. Of course, now everybody I preach for is younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember when I preached for a 90-year-old man. How old are you now, 88. Dr. Sisk? 88. 88, yeah. In your years of traveling, how, how many how many foreign countries do you think you've been, visited over the years? At least 80, 82, I can think of. You know, wow. I, I know we counted 80 one time, and after that I've gone to Israel and somewhere else. Anyway. Sure, sure. But, yeah. So with with something near 60 years of, of ministry, this is a difficult question, but... Um, in relation to missions in particular, what are some of the, the outstanding lessons that the Lord has taught you over the course of 60 years as it pertains to this work of missions? Yeah, yeah just First uh, Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And just find out what God wants you to do. And just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And uh, I, I think particularly First Corinthians chapter three. I planted a polished water. God gave the increase. But to realize that even though you don't see the fruit right away, somebody down the line is going to come and have the the fruit Amen. and so forth. And so whatever you do for God, it's not in vain. Amen. One one more question, Doctor Sisk. This has been a um, you have you have witnessed uh, a significant swath of independent Baptist missions history in your close to sixty years of of uh, mission service, and these last two years in particular have probably been unique. Among yeah. those sixty years of service, it has been sure. So, when you look at the current state of mission sending, international travel restrictions, foreign and domestic lockdowns and regulations, what is your sense of the future of American missionary sending? I, I don't have any idea. I wish I did, but I—I <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm—I'm I'm, you know, I'm not being uh, funny or anything, but I—I uh, I, I know all we can do. Where we're at, do the best we can. Amen. Okay, and just just keep keep doing it. You know, uh, we got some missionaries that went to Copenhagen just a few days ago. They've had their support for over a year. Couldn't go. Now it's opened up. So we've got others that that it's beginning to open up some of the countries that that they're going in. And uh, so I, I you know I, I try to tell the missionaries 
even though you can't get in now, don't lose your burden. You know, pray for the people, connect with them, any of them that you know, and uh, use your time for the glory of God. One and you know, and they've they've done all kind of good things during this time. Sure. So uh, uh, God will open up the doors. And and the the thing that we need to think about is that even in open and closed doors, God is sovereign. I open doors and no man can close it. I close doors and no man can open it. That's what the book says. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And uh, now there, I I don't know how to explain this, but, but regardless of what country it is, and it may, you say, that's a closed country. But there's some way to get in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, it's better described as a limited access right. country. But uh, if God gives us a burden for a place, then we have to just trust God is going to work one way or another to get us in there. Yes, sir. Dr. Sisk, I, I appreciate your many, many years of faithful service to the cause of Christ and this missionary enterprise around the world and I appreciate you taking a few minutes of your well, time. Well I envy you. Ah, yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a great time to be serving God. We're excited. And you're going to Zimbabwe. That's right, yes sir. Wow. Yes. Sir. You what you know anything about the work there, brother? I've been there I've been there personally on four different occasions. I've oh, really? been to some other country. I've been to Zambia twice in addition to that and um so I've got I've got a general idea, but I, I, there's still a learning curve uh, because our family has never lived on the foreign mission field. So we we've certainly got a lot to learn. But so you're going to work with the porters. We're going to work. We'll, we'll be in the next city okay. uh, from the porters, so we will yeah. definitely be interacting with them uh, on a significant level. And we're thankful they've been so faithful. Um, 15, 14, 15 years in South Africa. Now the last twelve years. In Zimbabwe, I really value his wisdom and experience. Yeah, there. I've known them since they were on deputation. Yeah. <laughs> Special family, <laughs> wonderful family. You know, they had ten children. Yes, sir. And uh, I, I, I began to think, how in the world are you going to find a house big enough? <laughs> and he got over there, and the Reform Church had uh, moved out of that area and had a big parsonage, seven bedroom parsonage, <laughs> and a church building. And they, they weren't ministering to the type of people that lived there, okay? Right. You know, right. all the differences there. Yes. So they had moved out of there, and all they had to do is take care of the grounds. Beautiful. <laughs> which is which illustrates the fact that God makes a way. Exactly. He's not limited by, by our limitations. He's not no. limited by our circumstances. Yeah. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, uh, your, your labor certainly hasn't been in vain in the Lord. I appreciate you provoking the next generation to be faithful. Thank you. So God, God bless you, my friend. The psalmist said in Psalm 71, 18, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. I'm thankful for a demonstration of God's strength and power through men like Dr. Sisk. Thank you for tuning in to the program today. I trust it's been an encouragement to you. If so, you can subscribe to this program on a variety of podcasting apps, and I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.